1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to be reading just the first eight verses of this chapter. First Kings 19, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight we really enter into what I would call the, the third act in the life of Elijah. The story of Elijah is really told to us just in three chapters. There are other references in Scripture, but the, the story is told just in 1 Kings 17 and 18 and 19. That pretty much encompasses his life. We looked at chapter 17, the introduction to the story, where Elijah comes with the word of judgment, there will be neither dew nor rain except at my word, and then he leaves. He is providentially cared for by God, but the Word of God leaves the land of God. Then in chapter 18, the second act, that, that highlight of the story, we have the contest at Mount Carmel. We saw how all of the different players in that contest were introduced, and then the contest itself. Who is God? If Baal is God, follow him. If God is God, then follow him. And God sends fire from heaven. There is no confusion as to who the true God is. And in response to that, the people say, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They confess who God is. And God returns the blessing to his people and sends the rain. Now we enter chapter 19. Really, I would say the beginning of the conclusion of the story. We'll look at this chapter together for the next couple weeks. And as we, as we enter chapter 19, it is somewhat 
of a surprise to us. We read in verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Verse 3, then he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. Elijah is afraid and he is discouraged. The one who prayed and the rains themselves were withheld. The one who stood up to the king, the one prophet who would stand against 450 false prophets, the one who saw the fire of God fall from heaven, the one who prayed again and the rains were restored. This one, this prophet, is afraid and discouraged. And while, while I am surprised by that, I'm also very comforted by that. It's easy for us to have a tendency to make the characters in the Bible bigger than life, to make them more than they were. But they were real people with real struggles, just like we are. Elijah needed encouragement at a particular time in his life, just like we do in times of fear and in times of discouragement. Tonight, we look at God's prophet being discouraged, that we might know what we should do in times when we are afraid and in times when we are discouraged. We learn from the Word of God. We read that, again, verse 1, Elijah told, or Ahab told Jezebel all Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. The king, Ahab, reports to Jezebel what had happened. And no surprise, she is angry. She is angry about what has taken place. Uh, the word of, of God has been revealed in that power, in that fire that came from heaven. God revealed himself. And when that revelation is reported to Jezebel, rather than falling down in fear, she is angry. The world does not want to hear about the power of God. It was that way in Elijah's time. It is still that way today. And perhaps you've experienced that. If, if you have, have shared the truth of the gospel with a co-worker, with a neighbor, you know, we, we sometimes assume, well, they'll just embrace the truth. But sometimes, sometimes the response is anger. The world doesn't like to be reminded that there is sin in the world. They don't like to be reminded that, that they are sinners who stand in need of a Savior. Oh, we pray for peace to be within the church, but there will never be peace between the church and the world. The revelation of God, as beautiful, as powerful as it is, is often responded to with anger. When people today are called to account 
because of their sin, there's often anger and resentment toward that revelation. That's what happened in Elijah's time. Verse 2, And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Jezebel utters this threat, this threat against Elijah. Typical Old Testament curse formula, may the gods do to me even more so if I do not have this happen to you. And while that's frightening to hear from Jezebel, I would suggest if we look at this threat a little more closely, it is something of an empty threat. Notice what we read. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to give this threat. I'm going to kill you, basically, is what the threat is. But she sends a messenger to bring the threat to him. I would suggest if she was serious, if she was serious about following through, she would not have sent the messenger, she would have sent the executioner. Why go and simply give him this warning rather than going and fulfilling it if she was that angry? The threat is, is, is frightening. But in some ways, an empty threat. She does not send the assassin. She simply sends a messenger to scare him. She, she really also, in many ways, lacks the ability to carry this threat out. Remember what had just happened. Her prophets, 450 of them, had been killed. She is somewhat at a loss to carry out the seriousness of this threat. And, and she swears by the gods. So may the gods do to me if this doesn't happen to you. Which gods? The gods who had just been destroyed at Mount Carmel. Yes, it sounds fearful, it sounds like a serious threat, but really, it is something of an empty threat as it comes from her. Today, the world still tries to threaten the church. We see that. The world tries to threaten us as to how we worship, when we worship, where we worship. We must never forget the world in itself lacks the power to carry that threat out. True power resides not in the world. True power resides in the church of the living God. God is more powerful than anything the world might threaten, than anything the world might do to, to, to make us afraid. God is more powerful. We sing, although this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. It's easy to feel small against the threats of the world, but this is where the power is. This is where the power of God is manifest. And we must not forget that. Elijah, it appears, 
forgot that. We read in verse 3, Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He is afraid, and he goes to Beersheba. You recall from your Old Testament geography, he is going south. He is going almost to the edge of the land of Israel. He is afraid of what's taking place. Why is that? Because we're going to see, as he calls out to God in a desperate prayer, we're going to see as this chapter unfolds, even Elijah... This prophet, this man of God, when faced with this threat, takes his eyes off God and puts his eyes on himself, what he could do to respond. Again, we'll get here next week, but in in verse 10, Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. He looks at what he has done. Again, in verse 14, he says, I have been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the people have forsaken. He looks at his own strength. He looks at his own power. He says in our text tonight, I am like my father's. I'm just a man. What can I do to stand against this threat of the world? And in that, he is correct. Left to ourselves, left to our own power, We are weak. We are frail. It is easy to be overwhelmed by the world if we think we need to stand against it in our own strength. If that is the case, we recognize how weak we are, and the enemy seems so powerful. But we do not stand against the world in our own strength. We stand in the strength of the Lord God Almighty, the one who is king and ruler over all creation, the God who is absolutely in control of everything that unfolds around us. I don't know about you, but it's so easy for me to limit the power of God. I project on God my own limitations. I say things like, I can't imagine how God can help me in the situation. God is not limited by my imagination. God's not limited by what I think he might be able to do. But God is so far beyond that. He is a loving, caring, and almighty Father who loves us, his children. We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to be concerned. God is in control. Elijah, it appears, forgot that. He went down to Beersheba, down to the south. And we read then in verse 4, and he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. What's happening? Elijah first goes down to Beersheba, to the edge of the land of God's people. And then he goes even farther south, down into the wilderness, outside the land where God dwells, outside the place where God in a particular way 
dwells with this people. He leaves the presence of God in that sense. He tries to run away in fear. And in doing so, leaves the protection of God. He tries to get as far away from God as he can, thinking that God perhaps has failed him. The threat is so big. It's so easy, it's so typical for us to do that as well. When we face difficulties, when we face trials, suddenly they become the most important thing in our life. And it is so easy for the things of God to be pushed to the sides. We no longer have time for our personal devotions because we're so consumed by the trouble, by the hardship, by the threat. We no longer have time for our corporate devotions. Rather than than coming to the place where God dwells, where His name is in a particular way, we find ourselves staying away from church, away from the people of God. We still have time for for watching the television, we still have time for reading the newspaper, but we just don't, don't seem to have time to come together for worship to gather with God's people in His presence. It is so easy for us to to try to rely on our own strength and even more so to leave the strength and protection of God. He says, verse 4, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my fathers. He is saying, I am no better than my ancestors. I am only a man. They were men and they died. I'm a man. I want to die too. He says, I'm done. I am finished. Take my life. Elijah might be finished, but God was not finished with him. God had more for him to do And so God would come and would strengthen his fearful and discouraged prophet. We read in verse 5. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. An angel from God comes to minister to him, comes to strengthen him. What does the angel do? The angel brings a small cake of bread, jar of water, and Elijah has bread and water and takes a nap. Very regular, ordinary means by which one gets strength. Bread, water, and rest. Oftentimes when we are in difficulties, trials, when we are discouraged, we want God to come like on Mount Carmel, like the last chapter. We want to see the fire from heaven. And there are times when God comes in remarkable and marvelous, miraculous ways. But most often, God comes to us to encourage us, to strengthen us in regular, ordinary ways. The ordinary means of grace for our spiritual strength. God comes to us 
with his word, the bread of life. He comes to encourage us, to challenge us, to rebuke us if necessary, to correct us, and to help us to walk in the paths of godliness, to turn our focus back to God, a very regular, ordinary means, the ministry of God's Word. He comes to us in the sacraments. We were encouraged this morning by the sacrament of baptism, the washing away of our sins. And we come to the table, a very regular, ordinary thing, but we feed spiritually upon Christ himself, the ordinary means of grace, not the, not the Mount Carmel means, the regular, ordinary means God has given to us. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't stay away from the table of the Lord. It is God's regular means to encourage us, to strengthen us, to help us, particularly when we are weak, when we are frail, when we are afraid and discouraged. Come to the table and be strengthened. God gives us the Word. He gives us the sacraments. He gives us rest on the Lord's Day. How important for us to follow the pattern God himself has set, working for six days and then setting aside that work, setting aside those daily labors and resting in the presence of our God, a very regular, ordinary means by which God strengthens us. We know during the week we get so busy, there are so many things in our lives, so many things going on, and on the Lord's Day, God says, it's okay to set those things aside. We get so busy during the week, we don't simply have time for devotions, we don't have time for Bible study. On the Lord's Day, we most certainly have time. Time to spend in the Word of God, not only in corporate worship, but also alone or with our families. To spend time in prayer to spend time singing together, to spend time in Bible study. We rest in the presence of our God on the Lord's day, a very regular, ordinary means that he uses to strengthen us. We read in verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. God continues to strengthen and feed his prophet, sometimes miraculously. We saw that back in, uh, in chapter 17, fed by ravens. God sends ravens. Now that's more of a Mount Carmel experience. God, God strengthens his, his, uh, his prophet through the work of a widow, a much more regular, ordinary means. And now an angel comes from God with bread, with water, and gives him rest. All of this coming from God to encourage and to strengthen his prophet because although Elijah says it is enough, God has more work for him to do. God is strengthening him for further service. We read that he will travel, verse, uh, verse uh, 8, he will travel in the strength of that food 
40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. Now last time, in the end of chapter 18, uh, he traveled more miraculously. At the end of chapter 18, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab, he ran before his chariot. That was more of a miraculous way, but now in a very real, regular way. By the strength provided, by the ordinary means of food, he travels 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. When we hear 40 days and 40 nights, and we know if you look on a map, it does not take that long to get to Horeb. It's a matter of days to travel to Horeb. But he wanders 40 days and 40 nights in that area, bringing our minds back to to the people of Israel who would spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Why? To learn to trust God more fully. They would wander to learn to place their trust completely upon Him. And now Elijah is receiving the same lesson. To stop looking to what he could do, the works of his hands, but rely completely, wholly on God, the God who is his provider. Perhaps tonight, you are wandering in the desert. You are discouraged. You are afraid. God comes to us tonight in the very regular, ordinary means of the ministry of his word to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to remind us he is trustworthy. We absolutely can rely upon him. The word of God is true. The promises of God are faithful. He is always faithful to the promises he makes to his people. Faithful to to secure our life in eternity through the work of his son Jesus Christ. Faithful to the one who would send his son to take away all of our sins, who calls us again tonight. Put your faith and trust in him for eternity. But who also is faithful to care for us in this life. It's a wonderful thing to have the assurance of heaven that Christ has done everything necessary. But we also have that assurance now. God has not left us to simply wait for some time in the future. He continues to watch over, to care, and to strengthen. Our thoughts go back to Israel, 40 days and 40 nights. Our thoughts go forward to Christ, who also would spend 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, not to have to learn anything, but to come out of that experience. I'm always amazed in that story. Jesus comes out strengthened. After 40 days and nights in the wilderness fasting, he comes out strengthened and does battle with the devil. And what happens? He wins. Jesus wins because he goes in the power of God to do the work of God. Perhaps, perhaps God is taking us through times of challenge, times of difficulty to remind us that he is trustworthy, he is faithful, but also to encourage us to take these times and use them in God's service. I know the most natural thing to do is when we go through a hardship and God takes us through us, we say, I never want to think about that again. That's a very natural response. But perhaps God took us through that 
so we could help someone who also is now going through that. We can be a living witness to God's faithfulness. Yes, I was there. I was in the wilderness. I was, I was down south. But God was faithful. God did not let me go. And we can bear witness to those who are now in the wilderness. God has more service for us to do. Elijah, the prophet of God, got discouraged. Elijah, who saw the fire on Carmel, was afraid. And again, perhaps that is where you are tonight. I want to, to encourage you. I want to say to you without hesitation, God, the God of all creation, is still in control. He has not forgotten you. He has not left you. And he encourages you tonight to place your gaze upon him, upon what he has done for you, securing your life in all eternity, and upon what he is doing for you. Walking with you in this life, in times of joy and in times of sorrow and difficulty. God does not leave his people. But he walks with them, even through the hard times, to prepare us for further service to those around us and ultimately service to our God. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the reminders, for the encouragements in your word. We confess we are so weak and we are so frail and it's so easy for us to, to take our eyes off of you, to limit what your power can do. Uh, forgive us, O oh God. Help us to once again hear the wonderful reassurances of Scripture. You are the God for us forever. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You are the God of all power and glory, our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Lord God, if there are those here tonight who are, who are in the wilderness, who are feeling far from you, would you use the regular, ordinary means of the ministry of your word, accompanied by the power of your spirit, to encourage and strengthen them tonight? You are faithful to your promises, and you will take us through in your time and in your way. Encourage us, O God, by your word and by your spirit. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.